good morning. Welcome to the Orchard. Those of you here in the building, those of you uh, out of state and even out of country, we're glad you're here with us today. And I just want to ask you a question right off the top. I mean, have you ever been to one of those real cities, like the big cities, where they have those people who have the big arrows that they flip around? You know those? And if you've ever had that job, I'm still looking for somebody who's been um, an arrow pointer holder. Yes, well, they, they stand there on the street corner and they do that for hours and they just point to a direction that, hey, by the way, Dale's Furniture Emporium has a liquidation sale right that way, right? And there's always two kinds of sign, sign people. There's the, there's the one who just stands there with the, the AirPods in and, and just holds it and just does this. And then there's the other ones. Have you guys seen that they're spinning it and they're, and they're dancing with it? I mean, they have made a sport out of it. All they're doing is pointing to a location, but they have made a big deal out of it. And I don't know if you knew this. In fact, you are probably today years old when you're about to find this next thing out. That there is actually a world sign spinning championship every year where people get together and they show off their ability to point to a business. Look at that. How incredible is that? The creativity, the elite athleticism, the on display. I mean, really, they took the role of pointing to something and they got as creative as they could with it. They took look that way and they went as as far as they could. Listen, they, they can point to that location no matter any, the, any circumstance, upside down, doing a flip, they can point to the location under any circumstance and they can point to the location in any number of ways. And these sign holders are what we're going to talk about in today's sermon. Mm. I can feel it. No? That's right. We're in our John series. We're in week two of our series on John, the book of John. And I just want to pull aside and say something. If you missed last week, I'm not going to tell you this just because I preached it. I think last week's sermon is foundational to your faith life. I think last week's sermon about whether you have a God or, or, or God, the God, is one that we should all listen to. And so if you missed last week's sermon, I want to encourage you to go find it on demand on YouTube or Facebook or podcast, but get that one and it'll help you set the tone for the entire series we have coming up. Now we're in John 1 still looking at a guy named John the Baptist. He's a special guy, as we're going to see. And he's also a sign spinner. In fact, he's the first sign spinner. But let's get a little background first, because John the Baptist was actually the fulfillment of a prophecy. In Luke, John the Baptist's parents are told by an angel that he's going to come. He's going to be named John. And here's what they say as this angel's talking to Zechariah in Luke 1.13. The angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You, you will have a great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he'll be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth, and he will turn many people to the Lord their God. He'll be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. We learn that John the Baptist has a heavenly mission. He has a calling. He has a destiny. He's going to be filled with God's spirit from birth. He's going to bring many people, it says, bring people back to God. And the last verse, it says about John, John the Baptist, it says, he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. John the Baptist 
would be singular in his mission and in his message. You know, we, we find that from birth he's called to this. And we don't, we don't read much about John the Baptist after that in his childhood. But we find him in Mark 1. And he's look, he looks a little different. Mark 1 verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. I mean, here we have this man with a mission, a man with a message. A, a man. He also has a strange fashion sense and, and, and diet. But, but the clothing and diet continue to reveal something unique about him. You know, see, John the Baptist, he is a laser focused on his mission. He is singular. And he's not there to, to, to gather material possessions. He's not looking for his next good meal. He's going to wear what he wears and eat what he eats. And everything in his life is a far distant second to the purpose, mission, and message that God has asked him to proclaim. John the Baptist is, isn't just mentioned in the Bible. Did you know there's historical accounts of him outside of the Bible? Josephus is an ancient historian who is a contemporary, actually, of Paul, and he wrote about John the Baptist by name. And here's some excerpts from Josephus concerning John. John, that was called the Baptist, who was a good man and commanded the people to exercise virtue. Virtue towards one another and devotion toward God. And that sounds a little bit like love God, love people that John was telling these people to do. It says, John called people to come to baptism for washing, but not just for the body, but for purifying the soul. And now such great crowds came to John and were greatly moved by his words that Herod, the ruler, feared John's great influence over the people that he might start a rebellion. So Herod thought the crowds seemed ready to do anything that this John would advise, and so he took him prisoner. We learn from the Bible about John's birth and his, his prophecy and the destiny and his mission and his message. God's spirit was in him. He was powerful and, and he, would, he would make the way for the Messiah. And then we hear from Josephus, this ancient historian, that, about John the Baptist's influence. As he looks from the outside and sees John the Baptist and these throngs of people who followed him, that when he preached, People were impacted deeply. And that Herod, who was the ruler, was so concerned because it seemed whatever John would say, the people would do. But before Herod takes him captive, we find him here in John 1. And that's where we pick up. In John 1, we have John the Baptist. He is popular. He's polarizing. He's spiritually potent. So much so that the religious elites, the Pharisees, they send priests and some of their assistants to go get more information on who this John is. And so let's round out our picture of who John is and who he's not. John 1 verse 19. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to John. They asked, who are you? And he came right out and said, I'm not the Messiah. It's funny because John was out there preaching with such passion and power and things were happening that there were rumors going around that this John the Baptist might be the Messiah, that, that he could be the one. And, and that's why when they ask who you are, John doesn't tell them who he is. He tells them who he's not. You see, John's on mission and he wants zero confusion about who the Messiah is. I'm not the Messiah. They continue. Well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? No, he replies. Are you the prophet we're expecting? No, says John. He's not giving them much here, is he? Well, then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say for yourself? John replied with the word 
the prophet Isaiah. He's quoting a prophecy from the Old Testament here. He says, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness. Clear the way for the Lord's coming. You see, we see that John the Baptist knows exactly who he is. He knows who he's not. He knows what he came for. He knows what he's on earth to do. His mother and father raised him to know the words of the angel and the prophecies of Isaiah. And he echoes that when, he, when John himself says, he'll prepare for the people to come. When the angel said, he'll prepare for the people, prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And John the Baptist echoes that in his statement. John 1.24 says, then the Pharisees who'd been sent to ask him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, then what right do you have to baptize? I go, well, if you're not important, then who are you and why are you doing this? And John told them, you know, I baptize with water, but right here in this crowd is someone you do not recognize. I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. John lets them know that he's baptizing. He's doing what God called him to do. But there is another one present who is so great that John the Baptist doesn't even feel worthy to untie his sandals. And of course, the person that John the Baptist is talking about is the Messiah, Christ. It's Jesus. John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus and his ministry. John 1.28, this encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. And John would baptize Jesus right there in the Jordan River as well. And I wanna, I wanna pull aside from our account right here, step aside real quick and tell you guys about an exciting opportunity. You see, I've been working with David and Robin Corson on putting together a trip to the Holy Land in April of 2022. And David and I are gonna be teaching our way uh, through some of those New Testament, even Old Testament moments. We'll be standing in the place and we'll be reading from the Bible, speaking the very words that were preached there for the first time. We'll be teaching the Beatitudes on the hill where Jesus preached them. There's a wooden boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. We'll walk through Jerusalem, visit the Mount of Olives, take the journey of Jesus' sacrifice. We'll be baptized in the Jordan River. And this is a bucket list trip for me. I, I want to I stand where Jesus stood. I want to I I hear the words that were uttered in that place all those years ago. And here's the cool part. You're invited. And this trip is open to Orchard members and, and to those of you in here. And, and even you um, out of town or out of country, I thought it'd be so cool if you've never been here to, to Carbondale, but you get to spend two weeks with your church family. We'll be going over to the Holy Land, April 2022. And, and here's a link. It's also, uh, there's a website in your bulletin, but here's a link. The first service just all took pictures of that. So maybe that's what you want to do. It's uh, inspiredtravel.com slash orchard22. You can get all the information and look at joining us there. But David and Robin and Amy and myself, we, we, we hope that uh, many of you can join us on this trip. Back into our message. We see John the Baptist. He's a powerful, he's, he's a godly person. He's inspiring. He's challenging and he is laser focused. And today, that's what I want us to get from John the Baptist. I want us today to be inspired to make some, some changes. I want us to be challenged to, to have a faith that's bold and that speaks up. And I want us to, to wrestle with this thought of being laser focused because you have a calling, you have a destiny, you have a purpose. And like John the Baptist we would be known for something that we're going to talk about what he does here coming up. 
Let's look at his mission. From the angel's declaration to Isaiah's prophecy to uh, John the Baptist's own words about himself, clear the way for the Lord. That's why he's here. I wanna say this. This is vital for a church to know. This is vital for a church to practice. There's something that's been lost in, in some churches and in Christianity in general. And this is something I wanna stop right here and declare about the orchard. That as a church, we're to make a clear path for people to Jesus. We're to make a clear path. Of, if someone wants to get to Jesus, we make the path clear if they want salvation. What does this mean? That means we shouldn't make it difficult. And I know this sounds so obvious and simple and I should just keep going, but, but this, Christianity has not been known for this. There's a path to Jesus and, and, and oftentimes or sometimes at some places, and we've probably all been guilty of it at times, that, that humans like to put hoops in between or roadblocks. That if you want to get to Jesus, here's some hoops to jump through. You know, the church and Christianity has a checkered history of telling people some things they need to do first, not providing a clear path. You know, you got you to look right. You got to dress right. You got to start act, acting right. You got to shake with both hands now and you say brother and sister and, and you got to vote right. And you, yeah, or you have to come through a priest. It's not a clear path. You have to go through a priest or a person. At some points in history, it depended on what race or nationality you were. Or, you know what, if you just would give more money, then um, the, the path would be a lot clearer. Or, or you had to do certain deeds or join the team and serve. Or just, just, just learn how to speak and act and behave like a good person. Go clean up and get it figured out. And then, and then if you've done all the things that we've asked you to do and jump through the hoops, well, <laughs> there's Jesus. And that goes against the very nature of the good news of the gospel. And as a church, I don't want us to have any part of this because here's the truth. This, this, this matters. How someone dresses, how they vote, how they look, how they act, what you've done in your past, what you do in your private, how you sin, none of those are disqualifiers for going to Jesus. And the orchard isn't gonna ask anybody to jump through hoops to make it to Jesus. If you come here, I want you to hear about Jesus above all things, the main thing, salvation. And as you come here, I want you to grow in your faith that you will learn more and more what it means to be like this person, Jesus. And again, I wish we didn't have to say this, but I've encountered people who've been deeply wounded by church or by Christians, well-meaning Christians in the past. In fact, I was at White House Pizza before COVID. Remember those days? Uh, I, was having a, I was having a beer with a friend and I was talking with him about God and, and someone down the way heard us, heard that I was a pastor and he said, I got some questions for you. He said he'd been told by a church and some people that if he committed these certain sins, he was going to hell. No questions asked. And he looked at me and said, I bet you're one of those churches, aren't you? What do you say, preacher? Am I going to hell? Well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> You know, I could, have, I could have said any number of things. I always ask God to give me some sort of wisdom in those moments. And here's what I told him. I said, man, that is, that's a really good question. I said, but when it comes to Jesus, I want you to know that I'm in the sales and repairs department. I'm not in court, code enforcement and I, I don't make HR decisions. That's up to God. And I went on to tell this gentleman that even if he committed every single one of those sins, if he came to Jesus, 
There was love, there was grace, and there was forgiveness. And that if he comes to Jesus, hell isn't something he needs to worry about. He was a little bit taken back. He was a little bit intrigued. Now, he didn't pray right there at White House to receive Jesus, but he gave me a handshake on the way out. And you know what else he got there at White House? I believe that man got a clearer path to Jesus. You see, there were some roadblocks. There were some hoops that he, he figured he had to jump through. If he was ever going to make that, it wasn't worth it. I think he left there with a clearer path that Jesus loves him and is pursuing him. And that that conversation was no accident. Listen, we're in sales. We're in repairs. There are issues that are out of our pay grade. There are questions that people are always going to ask us. Like, what about, listen, listen. There are, there are questions that, that I, I don't, I'd say, hey, listen, I don't know what to say on this one, but I, we want to tell you about the character of Jesus. He loves you. He cares for you. Another thing, we're not the sin police. We're not, we're not to go out and force morality on the public, shaming and, and judging certain sins worse than others. Not our sins, of course, but others. Listen, I want to point people to Jesus because I, I've learned in my work, he does a much better job of transforming someone's heart and character than I ever can. I point to Jesus because he, just, he does more in a, in a heartbeat than, than I can do in a lifetime. We aren't on this earth to be a sin police. Everyone will be held accountable for our faith and our behavior in the courts of heaven, but not in the congregations of the church. And this is what John the Baptist did. He called people to personally take a look within their heart and clear space for Jesus. He came to earth to make a clear path to Jesus. And as individuals and as a church, I want us to join him in that mission. There's no hoops. There's no roadblocks. And here's why. I just want to remind us all today, it is really good news that Jesus accepts people who are sinful and addicted and broken, angry, lustful, insecure, Greedy, adulterous, dishonest, divorced, liars, hypocrites, traitors. It's really good that he provides a clear path. You know why? Because that means you and I can be in. It's a beautiful divine truth that Jesus accepts those from, from broken pasts, broken homes, and broken childhoods, and broken hearts, and broken dreams, because that means that, that we qualify too. It's really good news. Romans says, all have sinned and fallen short of God. Paul says in 1 Timothy that Jesus came for, to save sin, and I'm the worst of all of them. I, I'm right there with him. I'm right there with him. And guess what? You're next to me. We all need Jesus' grace. We all need a clear path to Jesus for forgiveness. So let us be reminded that it is grace alone that leads to Jesus' salvation. No one gets to brag it is by Jesus' work alone. And, th and therefore, as a church, as individuals, we can go out and make clear paths for others to come to Jesus. No matter what they've done, no matter where, they, where they've been, there's Jesus. Jumping back into John 1. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This verse reveals what I love about John the Baptist's message here in John. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And what he's saying here, to put it in our terms, is, hey, look, that's Jesus. He can save you. 
There he is. That's the one. This is something I want us to really let settle down into our hearts this morning. John the Baptist, all his influence. John the Baptist, full of the Spirit. John the Baptist, crowds all around him. He points and he gives a one phrase sermon of the ages. Look, there's Jesus. He can save you. Orchard, we can do this. We can point to Jesus with our lives. In any situation, be the pointer, be the sign. In pandemic, look, there's Jesus. He gives hope. In, at work, look, there's Jesus. He changes my, he changed my life. In tragedy, look, there's, there's Jesus. He gives peace and comfort. To those, like the man that I talked to at the bar, hey, look, there's Jesus. He loves you and he wants to forgive you. Remember the World Sign Spinning Championship? Remember that video? Let's play it again. These athletes, they took the role of pointing and they got as creative as they could with it. And again, they can point to the location from, from any circumstance. They can point at the location no matter what position they're in. And Orchard, our life should be like this. Maybe not spinning quite like that, but, but our life should be a walking sign that points to the location of salvation regardless of the circumstance, regardless of whether it's in the tragedy or on the summit or it's in the frustration of pandemic or the fear of pandemic or the unknown of 2020. Whatever the situation, we should be able to point to the location of salvation. That's what John the Baptist did. Look, there's Jesus. There he is. He loves you. He forgives you. He has hope for you. Our whole life should be about pointing to Jesus. And we should get creative with it like they did. We shouldn't just have one track that we got 20 years ago. Listen, you got a personality, most of you. you, 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 you you're who you are. I see those smiles behind those masks. Like, like, get creative with how you say, look, there he is. There he is. We should be able to point to Jesus in, in any circumstance. You're around someone who needs hope. There's hope. Someone who needs comfort, there's comfort. Someone who needs peace, there's peace. We should be the sign pointers in every relationship, every room, every circumstance, every, every situation. And, and here's the reason why. Those people, they need Jesus. They need him. And we're the ones to point the way. One more verse from John the Baptist's message in, in John 1:34. He says, I have seen and I testify that he is God's son. Again, the simplicity of this. He says, I've seen Jesus's work and I can testify. I've seen and I can speak. Testify means tell your God story. It means to speak about what God's done in your life. It means to speak about how he's helped you, how he's changed you, how he's given you hope. And I just want to tell you just a secret, okay? I told 8.30, but we know it's 8.30. I want to tell you a secret about this, about seeing and testifying, seeing and telling. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need to be on church staff. You don't need to have the Bible memorized. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to have something worth testifying about. And if you've come to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Bible says you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come that you've come from death to life, that you are heaven bound. Now that's a testimony. And I always kind of, I, I can't understand when people say they have a boring testimony. 
They're like, well, I didn't, you know, do crack under a bridge and find Jesus. I just grew up in a normal home. I don't have a good testimony. I'm like, listen, listen. You've been brought from death to life. You've had your past forgiven. You got peace in your present and you have hope for tomorrow and heaven and eternity. That's a testimony. And come on, people, you've seen Jesus work in your life over this, over, over pandemic. You found, you've seen where he gave you peace in the fear or grace in the, in the frustration. You've seen him work. You have a testimony. You're, you're maybe sitting next to your testimony of who he, who he brought together with you or, or miracle children. Like we, I mean, like we have testimony. We've seen him work in our life. We've seen it. Now we say it. We follow John the Baptist's example. Really easy here. I have seen and I testify that Jesus is God's son. I have seen the work of Jesus in my life. I have seen the changes he has brought. I've seen the freedom he's brought me. I've seen the peace. I've seen the grace. I've seen the hope. And I haven't just seen it. I'm gonna speak it. Like John the Baptist. I testify, I speak out, I speak up about who Jesus is and what he's done in my life. I have seen it, I will say it. Jesus is the way. Say that with me. I have seen it and I'll say it. Jesus is the way. That's John the Baptist's message right here. We read John 1 and we see John the Baptist came to earth to give people a clear path to the Father. He spent the rest of his days just pointing, there he is, that's him, that's Jesus. He can save you. He spoke and gave testimony about how Jesus brings salvation and life. That's what he did. He pointed people to Jesus. He testified about Jesus. And, and Luke 1.15 says about John the Baptist, he was great in the sight of the Lord. Do you wanna be great in the sight of the Lord? Point people to Jesus. Do you want to live a faith that aligns with eternity? Testify about what God's done in your life. Do you want to be a part of the anthem of heaven? Point people to Jesus. Because there's a world that needs him. And the world needs a church. And the world needs a people who, who drop the, the pointing and the shame and the, the religious rule book and instead pick up a sign and say, look, there's Jesus. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you and he wants to forgive you. And let me tell you something. Here how he's, here's how he's worked in my life. Let me tell you. I wanna be those people. I wanna be that church who continually points to Jesus and says, let me tell you what he's done for me. Because you know what? Every time we have a story where someone gets baptized over here and they, they tell that first story, that first testimony, that's the starting line, guess what? Then they get to leave and go tell somebody else that testimony and someone else is gonna be back in here. And, and, and listen, as we go out and do this, someone's gonna be sitting in here in church with you who came to Jesus. Or maybe like that guy at the bar. I, I, I choose to believe that he left that, that, uh, that moment with a clearer path to Jesus and God intersected his life with other people. And I hope to see him in heaven someday. We're part of this plan. And so I want us to wrestle with the simplicity of this, that God has placed, he has placed you where you are with people in your orbit who need Jesus. And it's not popular to say anymore, but their, their eternity matters. And it matters to God and it should matter to us. It should matter enough to say, look, there's Jesus. Can I tell you what he's done in my life? Our big, bold first step 
could be this, a line as simple as John the Baptist's. I've seen Jesus work in my life. Let me tell you how. Or, look, I know you've been going through a hard time. Can I tell, can I tell you what helped me get through it? Well, I know you've had this, this loss over here. Can I tell you how God got me through this loss in my life? Like, you have a testimony of how Jesus has worked that others can, can, can have a clear path to Jesus when they hear it. So the question is simple. Like, where do we start? Who? As an individual, as a church, be a pointer. And listen, here's the deal. Be a pointer, not at the sin, but at the Savior. Let, let Jesus, let Jesus move in their life. Let Jesus transform their character. Let Jesus transform them. We point to him. And this is how we end today. Because we all have a calling. John the Baptist was foretold and prophesied, but, but you're here on this planet so that you can point people to Jesus. You can say, look, there he is. Can I tell you what he's done in my life? He's called you. He's equipped you to speak up. I want to be that church. The church who's not afraid to say, can I tell you what Jesus has done in my life? John the Baptist, he's inspiring, he's challenging, and he's laser-focused. And I want his life to, to challenge us, to go forth and, and proclaim and testify, to point, there's Jesus. And his laser, the way he was laser-focused on his mission, we are so distracted, I'm so distracted by all the different things that it comes down to the point of wherever I go, whatever room I walk into, whatever conversation I have, wherever I'm, whatever's happening, how in that moment can I simply point people to Jesus. Doesn't have to be weird. <laughs> How can I point people to Jesus? I think it's time to leave. I think it's time to leave our boring and bashful faith behind. And I think it's time for us to be a church that is bold, that, that are believing Jesus followers who take him at his word and who know there's a world that needs him and says, I'll do it. I'll say yes to you, Jesus. I'm gonna point people to you and tell my story. You know, as we go into communion, I want you to, to, to grapple with this and say, say God, um, how am I doing here? How am I doing? Who would you like me to begin testifying to? Who would you like me to talk to? How can I point to you? Are there hoops I've put up in front of you for other people? And what do I need to do with that? You do business with the Holy Spirit. And then we're gonna sing a song about preparing the way and the way maker. And I wanna just wanna say this. As we sing about Jesus, the way maker, we're called to, to go forward and prepare a way that people could come to him clearly. But he is the way maker. He made a way to the Father. He made a way to forgiveness. He made a way to eternal life. And if you're in this place today and you're on your last thread of hope, know that God is working. If you're here today and this is your last step of faith because you only have one thread left, know that Jesus is working and calling you. And I just feel led, you know, we haven't done this because of COVID, but if it, there are people in here who, if you're in here and you're here today and you need some prayer, if I could get um, maybe David and Robin back in that corner and Gary and Amanda back in that corner, if you guys are here and you need prayer today, please don't hesitate. We would love to pray for you and introduce you to this clear path of who Jesus the Waymaker is. Let's take communion. Let's worship.